You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. Right after July 4th, I was getting ready to put together a solo podcast episode about different ways to explore Vermont. But when heavy rain moved in on July 9th and 10th, and the banks of the West River, Winooski River, Lamoille River, and other waterways breached their banks, it was really hard to think about anything else but the devastation that was taking place around the state. Towns like Londonderry, Weston, Ludlow, Plymouth, Montpelier, Barrie, Waterbury, Cambridge, and Johnson had been really hard hit. And homes and businesses were destroyed by flooding and roads were washed out. There were mudslides later on in Ripton and Killington. And across the state, we had flood watch after flood watch for most of July. I'm recording this episode in early August, and there was flash flooding last night in Middlebury and other places. It's been a really hard summer for so many people who've lost so much. If you don't live around here, it's easy to think that the entire state was inundated by flooding. It wasn't, but the effects were widespread. Places like Burlington, Stowe, Manchester, and Bennington remained relatively unscathed. Still, Burlington's beaches have been closed quite a bit this summer because of heavy rains and stormwater runoff. And people have been warned to avoid swimming in rivers around the state or going into swimming holes because water levels are high and because flood-related contaminants are in the water. Down in Woodstock, they had lost their water in the downtown area for several days and businesses had to be closed. Woodstock has its water on again in the downtown area and it's open for business, but they went several days without any water and businesses had to be closed. And July and August are really busy times in Vermont. Summer is the busiest season here, so, you know, it was tough on a lot of people. But Woodstock's back open, Ludlow's getting back on its feet, and so is Weston. And they're open and they want you to come visit. And other places, you know, maybe they have a little longer to go to bounce back. And it's really hard to say when some of these towns will get back to normal. A few days ago, I was passing through Montpelier on a Sunday, and so it was especially quiet. Businesses were mostly closed, and no cars lined the streets, and hardly anyone was out on this beautiful summer day. The devastation wasn't as obvious on this Sunday that I was there as it had been in recent weeks. The garbage piles lining the sidewalks were mostly gone, and the outside of most buildings looked okay from a reasonable distance. But you knew what happened, and you could feel it. After visiting Montpelier, I decided to take a spontaneous trip to Plymouth, which is located in Windsor County between Bridgewater and Ludlow along Route 100. Route 100 had been washed out in Plymouth during the July flood, and access to the town was severely limited for a while. Route 100 reopened fairly recently, so I decided to make a trip down. I headed down and drove by the Woodward Reservoir and Black Pond on my left, and I turned onto Route 100A and headed east to Plymouth Notch to the President Calvin Coolidge Historic Site, which is the birthplace of the 30th president. Plymouth Notch, where the Coolidge Historic Site is located, includes these beautiful meadows and barns, a church, a schoolhouse, a cheese factory, and a general store, and also the old Coolidge homestead. It's this scenic, peaceful, and magical place, especially for anyone who loves Vermont history. The Coolidge site looks very much like it did a hundred years ago when Calvin Coolidge was sworn in as president on August 3, 1923. I think in retrospect, I was drawn to going to Plymouth Notch on that particular day because it's a place that's frozen in time. 
With the upheaval Vermont experienced from the flooding and just being in Montpelier a few hours earlier, I think I wanted to see something familiar, something unchanged. And I hadn't been to the historic site in a few years, but the flood reminded me how easy it is to take these places we love in Vermont for granted. We think these places are always going to be there, or that any changes will be so small and incremental that we would barely notice. But I don't think it's possible to assume that anymore. If you're looking to help communities or farms or businesses around the state who have been hard hit by flooding, you can go to my website, happyvermont.com, and I have a list of GoFundMe links and fundraising links that you can donate to to help these places out. So I'm going to shift gears a bit here and talk a little bit about what I plan to record before the flood. As I think I've mentioned in earlier episodes, I'm a board member of the 251 Club. The club was formed in the 50s, and it's all about exploring every town in Vermont. And some people do it fairly quickly. Other people, it takes them decades to do. There's no, it's not a contest. There's no requirements. It's just, you know, do it at your own pace. I was asked to speak about the club at the Manchester Community Library in southern Vermont, and I also was asked to talk about exploring Vermont. So the 251 Club is all about encouraging people to get out and see towns and cities around the state. And in the work I do for Happy Vermont, I'm all about diving in and getting to know a place once you get there. I think sometimes, whether you're in the 251 Club or you're just trying to see a lot of Vermont, it's really tempting to just want to like cross these towns off your list just by driving through. But visiting towns is about making memories, right? I mean, yeah, you can drive on Interstate 91 and pass through Guilford and Heartland and Fairley and Sheffield. But what about going into those towns and getting out of your car and walking around? I am guilty of this. I pass through the town of Guilford on Interstate 91 countless times over the years. I'd think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Guilford. No, I didn't. I hadn't really been there. I didn't know anything about it. I saw the sign on the interstate, and that was really my only reference. Had I really been to Guilford? No. But I changed that about eight years ago when I got off the exit on Interstate 91. I think it was exit one in Brattleboro. I drove south on Route 5 to stop at the Guilford Country Store. Then I headed up to the Green River Covered Bridge that was built in the 1870s. I parked my car and I walked through the red bridge and down a dirt road. And I took photos of a waterfall near the bridge and admired the old Guilford Meeting House across the road. And when I decided to head back to the interstate, I stopped by the Guilford Library to browse the history section. I also learned that day that Guilford has an annual small town fair over Labor Day weekend. The fair features a car show, amusement rides, an ox pull, farmer Olympics, a chicken barbecue, and live music. I think smaller events like these, like the Guilford Fair, or the Mount Holly Cider Fest, or the Chester Festival on the Green, or music nights on the Town Green and Cabot, these are all ways to participate in a community. Bigger events are good too. I mean, I love big events. The Peru Fair, the Stowe Foliage Festival, the Brewers Fest, those are fantastic. I feel like smaller events are a special way to connect with a town and the people who live there. I also think town halls, libraries, historical society museums, like the one in Mount Holly or the one in Braintree, are really nice ways to become familiar with the town and feel a sense of place. I also really like small museums. I think those are good options. Speaking of museums, I recently took my daughter and one of her friends to the Birds of Vermont Museum in Huntington. 
The museum includes hundreds of wood-carved birds, plus nature trails, a pond, and of course birdhouses. And the wood carvings in the museum are the creation of Vermonter Bob Spear. He opened the museum on a dirt road in Huntington in 1987. He passed away in 2014, but his work is still in the museum, and also other artists are there as well. And it's just really this wonderful special place and the setting makes you feel really in tune with nature and your surroundings. I think cell phone service is a little limited but I think that really enhances the experience so I highly recommend it. Another way I love to connect with communities and I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast is learning about you know history and finding those place names. Those place names are those unofficial places or maybe old names that are known locally or maybe not known so much anymore. Vermont has so many place names, it's fascinating. There's Goose City in Dover, Gaysville in Stockbridge, Maple Corner in Callis, Snowsville in Braintree, Jonesville in Richmond, so many more. And these are not official incorporated communities, but their places may be named after a person or a natural or geographic feature, or maybe an old mill or a factory. I read that Goose City was named after a goose feather factory a man who lived in that part of town raised geese for their down, which was then used making feather pillows and beds. Another spot I learned about is Griffith, which is this old place name in Danby. Silas Griffith of Danby established this village when he and his crews were clear-cutting hillsides in the town at the turn of the century. The path called the Old Job Trail follows Lake Brook to a big clearing where the village of Griffith once stood. And when I was in Plymouth recently visiting the Coolidge site, I learned that the name of the town was once called Saltash. It was later changed to Plymouth by the Vermont legislature. But you'll see some references to Saltash in Plymouth, including Saltash Mountain in the northwest corner of town. I think one of my favorite place name stories is about Barnumville in my hometown of Manchester. From 1891 to 1894, Barnumville had a post office which served several businesses. This part of Manchester derived its name from the company of Barnum and Richardson, which manufactured large amounts of charcoal in the 1800s. Here's the interesting part. It's not known whether the Barnum in the name was related to P.T. Barnum of circus fame. I mean, how incredible is that? I grew up in Manchester. I'd never heard that story. One of my best friends lived on Barnumville Road when I was growing up. Another very close friend of mine lives right off Barnumville, and I'm on it almost every time I'm in Manchester, but I'd never heard it, but I'll never look at it the same now that I know that story. I'll always think of the circus when I'm on Barnumville Road. So just kind of a cool way to think about places around Vermont and where some of these names come from. I never thought twice about the name of a road or some of the signs I would see on the side of the road, you know, years ago, but once I started learning about place names, like you can't unsee it, you know, you now you notice it everywhere and I always want to know the backstory. I think it's a really fun way to learn about the state and to dive in, you know, as I mentioned earlier. So thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. I'm Erica Housekeeper. It's good to be back sharing with you after taking a bit of a hiatus this summer. You can visit my website happyvermont.com to find more stories and podcast episodes. You can contribute to my Patreon account, or you can find shirts, sweatshirts, or hats for sale on my website, happyvermont.com. And your support and generosity is so greatly appreciated. I also would like to thank some of my newest Patreon supporters, Amy from Fairley, Diana from Orwell, 
Janet from Washington State, and Terry from Bennington. Of course, I would love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at hello at happyvermont.com, or you can find Happy Vermont on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.